Kairos. This is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it. The furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not going to bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Friday, everybody. Um, I am thrilled to be with you. We're going to call it Friday. It's usually Federer Fridays, but with the Council on National Policy, we have got our plate full. And uh, I always find that when I'm traveling and I come back and I've got to put a sermon together, I am scrambling with a limited amount of time. And so I thought, because I know the dilemma of that, and my guest tonight knows the same dilemma, we were going to do a favor for some of the pastors out there that are tuning in. We're going to give you some of our sugar sticks, uh, go-to passages, things that the Lord, if, if, if I were to awaken out of a coma and be put behind the pulpit, uh, this would be the sermon I'd give. And there are, there are a few of them that the Lord has instilled in my heart that often when I travel, uh, these are universal to minister to people across the country. And uh, my guest tonight is one of the finest expositors of Scripture, and I've sat under his teaching, especially when I was at uh, Dream City Church in Phoenix, Arizona. I listened to him give a sermon uh, called Rainmaker. It was remarkable. I love this man's teaching. I listened to him when we were back at the Student Action Summit in Florida and watching him captivate these young people, and it was early in the morning, and he's not an early morning guy, neither am I, but he had him captivated. Uh, my guest tonight is my dear brother and friend and a fearless pastor, um, a fearless friend in the faith who has been by my side through all of this. And prior, I, I didn't know him, and he came out of nowhere and has never left my side, and I pray I haven't left his side. And we've just been continuing to serve one another, and we've become the dearest of friends. Please welcome Pastor Jurgen Matesius. Where are you, buddy? There you are. Howdy. Hey, great to be with you. Thank you so much, Robin. What an what a uh, incredible show. Congratulations. It is a much needed show and uh, broadcast that you're putting on Vintage McCoy. What an honor. Uh, well, I, I've, I've been blessed to be a part of it. And we've, we've changed the sign, as you can see. Uh, we, we added the History Matters because everyone thought Vintage McCoy meant we were doing reruns. Uh, and so now, now everyone knows that it's because History Matters. That's why we call it Vintage McCoy. And I, I've, I've loved the format. I, I would like to say it was my idea. It wasn't. We've got a, a group of people that have come together that have basically designed this and wanted to kind of set it up around what they considered my strengths. And so I'm glad it's ministering to you and others, and we'll just see where we're going to go with it. it it's, it's evolving, and that's a good place to use the word evolve. And yeah, uh, exactly. we really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, let me, let me just say, you know, Rob... Um, from when I first met you last year in August, um, you know, the, the courage you put in, but one of the things that is very, very striking to me is your ability, I'm not even sure whether it's on a conscious or a subconscious level, but you have surrounded yourself with the most brilliant people. 
It's like I, I meet Rob McCoy, you will introduce me to somebody who, whether they're in a financial sphere or in the marketplace or whatever sphere they are, remarkable people. So I'm not surprised that you've got people around about you who are smarter and br more brilliant and better. And I just think it makes you shine. And I just want to give a shout out. I, I am still in the afterglow of you and Charlie Kirk. That that podcast was a must listen to. It was mind blowing. I've put it on my Instagram. I sent it to all of our, our staff and team as a must listen to. The way that you guys articulated HR1, HR5, uh, how precarious our nation is at the moment, that, that we are in peril. If the church backs up, uh, we may not be able to, to, to rise. We need to rise now. We need to stand up now. And I just want to, again, just say thank you because you were literally the catalyst that confirmed everything we were feeling to help us to, to stand and rise. And I'm telling you, we have, I, I know that there's no less than hundreds of people in San Diego who are still alive because of our stance that came from your example. We had so many people who were on the brink of suicide. One man put a gun in his mouth, pulled the trigger, the bullet got stuck. He got rid of that one, put a fresh one in, put it in his mouth again, pulled the trigger a second time, it got stuck again. The phone rings and it's mm. his dad saying, hey, I just went to a church, they're open, no mass, these guys are courageous, you need to come, pick them up and he rededicates his life to the Lord. That man is saved because we were open. We were open because we came to your church. Uh, I don't know what to say about that, Jurgen. I'm thrilled and blessed that, that God is using us. I, I was thinking about Mike McClure. He's under $2 million in fines, and they do baptisms on a Sunday morning while they're getting $5,000 additional fines, and they're doing baptisms and they've had hundreds of people come forward to be baptized, people that show up and not prepared to be baptized, didn't even, had never stepped foot in a church, and they're going forward in the clothes they wore that day. They didn't bring a towel. They didn't bring a bathing suit. <clears throat> they, they came expecting to go home dry. They're going home wet and thrilled. And, and we're watching an awakening and a revival. And it, it, it's strange to me. I mean, you're, you're, you're giving me accolades and credit, but the reality of it is, why aren't we all just doing this? It seems so natural. People are hungry for freedom. They're hungry for liberty. And, you know, maybe you attribute to me that you had that, you know, push over the edge to do it. But you're the one who made the three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive from San Diego. You were hungry to know how to do it right. And I, th I, think, I think all of us as pastors, you know, maybe, maybe I'm 20 minutes ahead of you. But I think all of us as pastors want the best. And for our shepherds that aren't open, you and I can both testify. This has been the most profound season of ministry in our lives. And, and what, the way we've seen God moving is miraculous. Yeah, 100%. That the altars are full every week, people weeping every week, people's, people finding hope. We had, uh, we had a gentleman last week come into our men's conference evening and wearing a mask with his kids and they were wearing masks and as he, as he came in with his sons and looked around and saw no one he just burst into tears tore his mask off and he said i had no idea that freedom still existed in this city mm. so you know but i'm telling you thank you your your lead and your example your courage and you know as as much as covid is contagious courage is contagious and it spread from 
Thousand Oaks down into San Diego and and right through right through our our campuses. So thank you. Well, I'd love to be a super spreader of courage as opposed to a super spreader of COVID. <laughs> uh, I get blamed for the latter, not the former. Anyway, so it. <laughs> and you and I both know that's just hokey. Um, and we've been boy, the, the government in San Diego has been dumping on you, and they, they have, and and the the largest outbreak of COVID has been in the government agencies. Yeah, but they don't they don't mention that to the media. No, no, they don't they don't mention that. And and you know the guys the 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 health officers that came to cite us, we had pictures of them sitting in the car shoulder to shoulder, no masks, and and they perjured themselves on the stand, and uh, they oh it, it's just it, it's getting to a point where it's almost comedic as as tragic it is, as it is. You you commented about Charlie and and you you said how brilliant that that podcast was. I was in Phoenix because we were preparing and working on some things that we're going to be doing together in the coming year. And, and Charlie knew that I, I had to put a podcast together. He said, let's go do this real quick. He said, we're going to switch it up. You're going to ask me questions. And I thought, thank God, because I don't have to answer them now. And really, I mean, we hit that switch and Charlie just, for him, that stuff just lives in his brain. And for, for all of us that need to educate our congregations, he put the cookies at the bottom shelf and allowed us to understand it so clearly. I, I want to give a link to that. So folks, especially pastors, as you're preparing for Sunday, pull this up, listen to it, and educate your congregation on HR1 and HR5. And the link is, is going to be right up there. Also, Charlie commented uh, that because of, of the two Democrats, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema, uh, one from West Virginia, Manchin, and one from Arizona, that they are not going to vote to eliminate the filibuster, which is going to protect us from H.R. 1 and H.R. 5 going to a Senate vote, which is going to save us from ruining and taking any hope of a fair election uh, at any time in, in the future history of our country. That's being staved off by two Democrats. And I said on that program... It's easier to move someone than it is to remove them. And I would encourage all of our viewers and folks who tune in to please say thank you to Senator Manchin and Senator Senator. They're both Democrats. Give them praise where praise is due because they single-handedly are staving off the destruction with two really bad bills uh, by not allowing the filibuster to be removed. Yeah, and that's that's quite remarkable because... If there's one thing that the left uh, is proficient in, it's sticking together. I can't even begin to imagine the pecking order coming down from Pelosi mm. and Schumer to get them, to force them, to blackmail, to bribe them, to do anything to get them to cave. I mean, they've got to be almost hated in their party for standing yeah. up for the for the uh, Constitution. Yeah. Well, and, and they've also figured out how to get in the driver's seat. So it's, it's actually a brilliant political move. And when Charlie, when, when Charlie surmised that and put it forward, the next day uh, this article came up, which totally confirmed what, what Charlie was thinking, that Democrats worry Senate will be the graveyard for the Biden agenda. That was on the Hill. And that's, that's no conservative you know, publication. But they confirmed what Charlie was saying, that the Senate is going to be the graveyard for, for Biden's agenda. So please make sure that you let Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema know, send him a letter. Folks, 
we, we, this is a participatory form of government, so yes. jump in. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Jurgen, I, I want to switch gears and help out our pastors because being at the CNP, the Council on National Policy, I'm, being in Florida, being overwhelmed, having to come back, so much work on my, on my plate. There are times where you, you got to jump into the pulpit and, you know, you, you, you look for things that are going to resonate with folks. You have something on your heart, but you don't have time to do the deep work. And you, you come across folks who've already discovered these diamonds and you just kind of have to dust them off and give them a setting and they sparkle for your congregation. People are saying, well, it's plagiarism. It's not. You give credit where credit is due. But I, I, I was thinking that the two of us could give what I call sugar stick sermons. We don't have to go through it in detail. Just give sure. an outline of, of those things that jump out and, and give them to folks that would maybe have to do a home Bible study or a gathering or even pastors out there where they can put their own illustrations, but the principles are theirs. They can use them. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and I, I was thinking, let's, let's do that, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend some time in the one thing we have that's true, and that's the Word of God. Yes. Well, can I just say this? That, um, sure. You know, like I, I, I am so amazed at what you do. I, I know that a couple of weeks ago you and I were talking, and you had an incredibly busy travel schedule. You come home. You go to bed. You're like, oh, dear Jesus, I don't have a word for church tomorrow, your wife's like, what are you going to preach tomorrow? And you didn't have, and you went to bed and, and God gave you two words. Do you remember that? Two words. Yeah. And you shared, you shared it with me and it was flipping mind blowing. But here's what I just want to encourage you and maybe encourage the pastors who, who are watching. What I love about you and what I love about Charlie is you guys are continually listening to uh, podcast, continue to listening to broadcast, continually leaning in. And I think that when you're on a plane, what you can do is you can actually listen to podcasts. Jesus yeah. said this. He said, I don't speak anything unless I first hear the Father saying it. Whatever the Father says, that that is what I speak. And you can actually land and almost circumnavigate hours and hours of Bibles open and books open and study just by listening to podcasts. And you're right. You know, well, is that plagiarism? No, it's it is resetting those diamonds. But it's it's, uh, you know, and I think it doesn't just prepare us for a weekend. I think it prepares us for a position uh, on on life. And I love I just have to, again, give accolades. I love that podcast with you and Charlie. It was it was just if you're a pastor and you want to know how do I navigate my church through these these troubled waters, I thought it was just pure gold. Mm. Well, it, it, it sure helped define some things for me because as we're stepping into this season and trying to figure out where God's taking us, I, I almost felt as though it was outlined as we were speaking and this comfort came over me, especially listening to Charlie and defining where God's leading in all of this as the ecclesia the church is becoming more aware of its role in the public square and how do we pursue that? And it's becoming more and more evident and the pastors that are awakening, and I'm talking to the pastor of Awakened Church, but the pastors that are awakening to this truth, they're growing exponentially. Yes. We're working calls every day, aren't we? Yeah, every day, every day. But, you know, and I think, Rob, you know, you really uh, hit it on the head when you said that the church stepped back from the ecclesia. The church stepped back 
from engagement in the marketplace. And uh, Mother Nature has 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 no vacuums. When we step back, it got filled in by darkness. And so we now wonder why they got, you know, absolutely the most severest abortion laws. We wonder why there's HR1 and HR5, you know, going before our Congress, going before the Senate. Well, it's because we backed up. We, we didn't hold the line. What did we expect? I, I was, the part of the time with Charlie that jumped out at me was when he was commenting about the largest church in California that he wrote a letter to, and then they responded, and I responded to their response. And they used the line, they said, we're not political. And that's why they weren't opening, because they didn't want to endanger their community, but they were still doing their homeless ministry, their food pantry. They were still doing counseling ministries, but they weren't opening, and they aren't a political church. And, and my comment to them in response was, <clears throat> yeah, you can say you're not political, but you are. And because you are complicit with tyranny and, and allowing the abused to be quarantined with their abusers and schools to be shuttered with a virus that has a 99% survival rate, and we can go on and on with the data, but because you're complicit with these tyrants, you are now fishing downstream with your ministries to collect the human waste you help create by supporting a government that has now created the, the highest homelessness of any state in the union the, the greatest poverty of any state in the union, the highest debt of any state in the union, and you're fishing downstream for folks who've been devastated by this tyrannical government, and your silence is complicit with that evil. So yes, you're political. You just choose to think you aren't, but you are. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think it's it's gotten to that stage where the, the watermark has elevated where complicitness is silence. And I think it's a defining line in the church today that more churches are coming or more pastors are coming out of the shadows and out of the sidelines and realizing, well, I've got to make a stand because I may not have a church tomorrow. I may be in prison tomorrow yeah. if I don't speak up and if I don't speak out. Amen to that. And and as you know, we, we try as best we can every week to have Seth Gruber on the program, who is the Charlie Kirk of the pro-life movement, because I really believe the number one issue facing America is not racial reconciliation. It's not social justice. The, the number one issue on the heart of God is the decimation and holocaust of a million unborn babies. And the church is silent and, and until we acknowledge that, recognize that, and, and we're going to be facing the lies and the distortion that somehow we, we don't care for children out of the womb, which is a complete lie, and I'll show the data, and I have shown the data, and we'll continue to show the data. But until the church starts to realize a million babies a year, and you want to talk about BLM Incorporated, 370,000 of those million children are black children, and the birth rate in the black community is flatlined. And, and they say Black Lives Matter. It's the number one killer of black Americans. And yet the church is silent. If we don't get life right, the rest of it is a royal waste yeah. of time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's the foundation. And, you know, it's interesting, Rob, that we, we got hammered, my wife got hammered, I got hammered, a whole bunch of our leaders got hammered. Ah, all you care about is, you know, uh, babies in the womb, but what about after they're born? And they were using that as an excuse. And what was interesting at the same time, uh, 
my I met with my I had a meeting with my missions director and we we just adopted where well, we were adopting a village in Peru and we did it all through Compassion International and we we you know promoted it to our church and we needed a, a I think it was just shy of 400 sponsorships we ended up with 874 sponsorships so that we went from one village to eight villages and it was kind of like God saying that if you don't care for life in the womb, you won't care for life outside the womb. But because you care for life in the womb, you care for life outside the, the womb. Don't listen to these liars who don't care for life outside the womb and then want to point the finger at, at, at us as the church and say, yeah, well, what are you doing? You aren't doing anything for the life outside the womb. You know what? The fact that, that God's speak is open on a Sunday says that we care about life outside the womb from yeah. from from baby from nursing infant all the way through to the elderly your services the ministry that's there is for that because we care about people in the womb and outside of the womb my wife and i've adopted my my daughter and my son-in-law are foster parents uh we we put on foster parenting classes and you i mean it's just, and, and the number one adopters in the country are Christian families. That's right, yep. yeah. The number one people involved in foster care are Christian families. You go into any embassy around the world where adoption's taking place, Christian families are there. I've been to the embassy in Moscow. I went through that. I saw it. So it, it is an empty argument, and it's used to justify their apathy and their inactivity and they're focusing on the wrong things, and they're labeling it as it's the heart of God when, no, the, the main issue is the Holocaust, and it has to stop. Yes, so. exactly. Uh, Jurgen, let's, let's, let's help the pastors. And, and I, want you, I, I, I want you to go first. And, okay. and, I'm, and I want to, I wanna, okay, so we wake you up out of a coma. Uh, we hit you with some adrenaline. We put you behind the pulpit, and we go, you're up. And, and what comes to mind when you have to stand in front of folks that are, what's the one message God puts on your heart typically uh, that, that stands out more than any other? And I, I can think of three, or, three to five of my own. We're not going to go through all of them, but share with us. And, and I, okay. I'll ask you questions while you're going through it. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm sorry I'm going to mess things up because as you said, woke me up out of a coma, I realized, oh, that my go-to is actually John 11 where oh. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> there you go. And, and that's such, it's such a powerful scripture because like it was all hope was gone. And you, you, can, you can preach it any way. You know, all hope may be gone. You may be addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever. All hope may be gone. But Jesus, when he says, you know, Lazarus come forth, Lazarus came forth. And it's such a powerful, powerful passage of scripture. I think I've probably defaulted to that one more than anything because um, you know, Jesus says just a, a few days earlier, uh, this sickness will, you know, will not end in death. It's not under death, yeah. Yeah, and then Lazarus dies. And so the disciples are like, well, you know, I guess he can't always be right. And Jesus, you know, what's so beautiful, and this it preaches so well, Jesus didn't say, I didn't say it, uh, that it wouldn't go to death. I just said it wouldn't end there because he's the resurrection and the life. And again, you may, you may feel like it's all game over. It's impossible what I'm facing. And, and you know, we've seen the altars filled with people who, who tried to beat their addiction. You know, they, they tried to overcome depression. They tried to do these things by themselves. They tried to repair their marriage only to find the, 
what was needed was Christ, that lordship, that submission again to God, to his word, to to his sovereignty, to his lordship in their life is the game changer. And then all of a sudden his word brings forth. And I have this cheeky little revelation. And uh, what I like about you is is you've got that beautiful, creative, almost naughty, playful mind. It was so funny because, you know, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And it's such a powerful thing because Lazarus is dead, you know, and it's almost like you want to hear back out of the tomb, can't, dead, <laughs> or at least dead-ish, you know, but, but Jesus expects a dead man to respond to his word. What excuse do we have? And it just, you know, people just go, oh, my gosh, that's a – so that would, be, that would be my first default would be the John 11, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. If, if I had no time and I had to preach a message that I knew would, would minister to people, would put hope in people, redirect people to, to Christ, get people to surrender to his lordship, uh, you know, get, get people saved, it, it would be John 11. In, in John 11, uh, I heard a preacher once say, that had had Jesus not said Lazarus's name, all the dead would have arisen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It would have been like a scene from Thriller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo-hoo-hoo>! <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. I'm not going to moonwalk for you. I, I one of my favorites is, uh, and I, I love, I love uh, words, and. And rhetoric, different forms like synesia is one of my favorite rhetorical terms where, where Jesus uh, applies two senses of the human body to cause your mind to ruminate. For example, Solomon says, a good name is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. And so he equates a name, hearing, with a fragrance, smell, olfactory. He says, a good name is like a precious fragrance. And the number one sense of the human body for memory recollection is the olfactory sense. Wow. And so people are drawn to you in a sense because your name is fragrant. And then Jesus says that he, he's the fragrance diffused. To some, he's the aroma of death. To others, he's life. And, and we are that, that fragrance of Christ. And it causes people, and, and what is that fragrance of Christ? If you want to be great, be a servant. Wow. We go to funerals of people who served mankind. The very first funeral I ever officiated was a woman who was my age at the time I was in my early 30s. There were uh, four living people in the, in the mortuary. Her mother... Her daughter that she had never met, who was, I think, 11, me, and a, a kid I'd brought along to play some music. And she had been a drug addict her whole life, stolen money from her mother, and, and I, I, was, I was ministering to two people, specifically the daughter, because the mother had already reconciled these thoughts. And I, I contrasted that later with the first sermon I did for someone I loved and was moved by. And the sanctuary was packed. And what brought them was the fragrance of that name. And I'll leave you with this, that I I took my son on a walkabout when he turned 13, where he went from a boy to a man. And we began at a cemetery. 
Wow. And I said, I said, what do you observe, son? I did it with both my boys. And you see the year of birth, the year of death, dash in between. That's the, the, the dash of life. And you see the name. And then maybe a pithy little thing below. Some people would put scripture. Some will do you know, a royal flush or a cruise liner, whatever their life encapsulated. They're trying to state it on this tombstone. And the other observation they made, both of them, is that nobody's there. And I said, like the flowers of the field, you're here today, gone tomorrow, to be remembered no more. And then I took him to a tombstone of a friend of mine who I buried. And they knew this person. I'd spoken of them highly because they touched my life. And I said, every great journey begins with the end in mind. Wow. And when you're born, you're given a name. And we don't know if that name is a fragrance or a stench until the end of your life. Wow. And, and I said, I said, um, you know, it's all dependent on how you live, boys. And, and that, that name is dependent on, I, you're given the name, but how that name ends up, I only read the biographies of dead men. And, and serving people will always cause people to be drawn to you. And they got it. I want to go on that walkabout with you. That's <laughs> like a game changer. Rob, what, what, what a profound word. Can, can I just throw you, tell you the two words that I want on my tombstone? Because <laughs> I, I wish I was a, uh, you know, as much of a wordsmith as, as you. These are, the only reason that these two are on there because they're the only two I can spell. The first one is wow, which even I can get right if I'm dyslexic. Wow. And the second one is how. My name, year of birth, year of death, and then the words wow, and then the words how. Like, how did he, hang on, we went to school <laughs> with that guy. How did, so that it points to God. Both the yeah, wow and the how, I think, point point to God. And But I love that, you know, how magnificent a walkabout with, with, your, with your kids. And I love that, that you, we begin the journey with the end in mind. But I love the way you think. I love the way you process. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing that's, that's so magnificent and why I believe that God has really raised you up is you don't just have a brilliant mind. It's your heart, your, your heart. You have the, a beautiful shepherd heart. You're a strong leader. But the shepherd, the, a person who genuinely loves God and a person who genuinely loves his nation, his community, his church, his people comes through. And it's it's just, you know, it's almost like, you know, if you have a steak, but you don't have any accompaniments, you know, the, the, the word that you bring forth is steak. But I think the, the spirit that you bring it forth in is just like that, that, that illustration with the, the graveyard, exceptional. All right. I'm, you set yourself up for this one. I wrote this to you and I said, Barnabas is in heaven declaring to Jesus, Lord, Jurgen must be bestowed my title, son of encouragement, because he far exceeds anything I ever accomplished on earth. And his love of Rob, who is exponentially more difficult to work with than Paul ever was, is proof the title should be given to him. You, even that was so beautiful and so profound. Wow. You're throwing yourself under the bus, but I'm feeling like 25 feet tall because Barnabas is a hero. You he know, is. Barnabas He's precious. was a champion. He was. You know, John Mark was written off by, by the Apostle Paul, but it was Barnabas that said, hey. Jurgen, Jurgen, 
There are days where you wake up and you think, have I led these folks on a long, lonely road to nowhere? Mm. Am I making a huge mistake? Mm. And you're all alone in this. And then you look out and you see the most energetic, charismatic, joy-filled believers that have driven three and a half hours to tell you how much you've ministered to them. And otherwise, I'm just going on a long, lonely walk. I think the Barnabases of the world are far more critical than the hardcore Pauls. I mean, yeah. Paul wouldn't be who he was without Barnabas. So I, and I'm yeah. no Paul, but I'm just saying, I really, you, you have no idea what a son of encouragement you are. You're just a, a great blessing. So uh, give me, give me, give me some more. I, I want to hear, I love what you did with Genesis one. Yes. So Genesis one. Genesis 1-3 would be my other go-to. If I had nothing, I just woke up from a coma. He said, hey, here's a microphone. They need you up there to preach in. You got 60 seconds. Genesis 1-3, where uh, in the beginning, God creates heavens, earth, formless void, darkness, covers the face of the deep, spirit of God hovering. And then God said, let there be light. And it's just so beautiful because the light comes. And then the next verse says, and then God separated the light from the darkness. So a lot of people say, well, you know, darkness and light can't mix. Well, Genesis kind of contradicts that because gen because darkness and light did mix and then God had to separate them. The Bible says the light he called day and the darkness he called light, night. And the reason that, that um, God separated them, you can only separate uh, darkness from light when God's word is introduced. So if we're, right now we're talking about, well, same-sex marriage. Well, you know, a fetus. When is it alive? When is it? If you remove the word of God, it is all dark. It is we can't discern. But as soon as you bring the word of God in, all of a sudden now you can see, well, this is darkness. This is death. This is chaos. This is disorder. And then this is light. This is life. This is illumination. This is going to go well with you. And, and that's why the church has to rise in this hour because we're the ones that have been given the gift of mm. being uh, able to be expositors of God's word and God's truth. You know, Psalm 119, 105, I think it is, it says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. So it reveals where I am and a light unto right. my path. It'll show me which way to walk without stumbling and without tripping or without falling into a ditch. So, you know, the, the preaching of the word of God. And then I always land at John 8, 32, where Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. That's something I love that you do. You take an Old Testament passage and you illustrate it with a New Testament passage. And the best illustration from the word of God is the word of God itself. I love that. Yes. Sorry, I had to insert yes. that. Take it, go. Oh, I love you. Yes, yeah, so beautiful. John. Yeah, so John, John 8, 32, Jesus, who is the word become flesh, says, um, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So, you know, again, you've just woken me up. You've put a microphone in my hand. I've got 30 seconds to get up. I can talk about how the word of God brings light. It, it helps you discern truth from error, darkness from light. It helps you to discern right from wrong, evil from good. And at the same time, it brings freedom. And I love that it's on your introduction. And I love that it's almost become the the uh, underscore of whenever I hear History Matters, Vintage McCoy, that freedom isn't man's idea or liberty isn't man's idea. It was God's idea. And that freedom is rooted in God, in his word. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Yeah, amen. Wow. 
That's rocking. Uh, let me see here. I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't want to play. I'm going to top you. I'm just. I'm just going to share some things that I. You know, if they help somebody, they help somebody. Top, top, top away, and I'm taking notes if that's all right for Sunday because I've got a Sunday sermon coming. <laughs> Trust me, I've already ripped you off. Uh. <laughs> hey, but how beautiful is it? Isn't that what we do? We come to the table yeah. and we share. I, I, you know, yeah. I'm telling you, like, you know, it's iron sharpening iron. Our church is better because of our connection to you. And isn't that what the scripture says? One sets like 1,000, 2,000. And yeah, uh, yeah. so absolutely, it's a table of fair exchange. And you can anything. But I'm telling you, I, I feel like uh, when I sit at the table, you know, I, I bring my, my stale bread and I'm, you know, oh, getting the stuff out. fresh out of the oven. All right. Um, so I like the significance of word counts in in the Bible, and this word is only used twice. Wow! And it's it's a fascinating word. It's found in uh, John eighteen and John twenty one in the original Greek, and the word is anthrakia. And I'll, I'll I think I have the definition. I, I pulled it up. Anthrakia. It means a bed of burning coals, fire of coals. But actually, if you go further and you look at vines, it says it's a, it's a black coal fire. Wow. And it's made, it's made from anthracite. It was kind of a rich man's... No, no, no. It's, <laughs> Sorry. It, it, it's, it's all right. <laughs> it's a... You're dumber than a box of rocks, I'll tell you what. <laughs> if your brains were full of dynamite, you couldn't blow your nose. That's not where we get anthrax. Anyway, sorry, forgive me. Sheep. You get them from sheep. Yeah, anthrax. But, but anthracite, is, uh, it was a rich man's fuel they carry in their bag. And it has a pungent aroma that, that almost like a smell of burning tires. So... The two places, and I don't know if we have the passages, but the two places where that word exists, the only two, is John 18 and John 21. Now in 18, Peter is warming himself by a black coal fire. And he's already told Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll go to prison. I'll even die for you. And he says, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So he's warming himself by the fire. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did the other disciples, and the disciple was known as the high priest. It goes on, uh, and they say to him, the servant girl, verse 17, who kept the door said, are you not also this man's disciple? And he said, I am not. So he denies him there, and he's warming himself by this fire. And the servant's officer who made the fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. And then the passage says, now Simon... Uh, stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, said, I'm not. And then the servant of the high priest relative, uh, whose ear Peter cut off, did I not see you in the garden with him? And then Peter denied him. And immediately the rooster crowed. We know the other passages where he locked eyes with Jesus and it said he wept bitterly. And But he's, he's, he's warming himself by this fire and he's denying the Lord. And then... He just, he's, he's, he's let the Lord down. He's broken his promise. He has failed God like all of us have. And it takes me to the worst seasons of my life where Satan would say, God doesn't want anything to do with you. You have, you have promised him you'd never do it again, and you did. There's no hope for you. Mm. And, 
there's, there's the economy of God's grace. Mm. The God who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Mm. And at those moments where you think, you know, Lord, and it is ingrained. Mm. It's seared into your memory of recollection with the fumes and the visual, and it's all there. And then God has a way of restoring us. John 21, the disciples are fishing. They've fished all night, haven't caught anything. Jesus says, cast them to the right side. He does. It's full. Someone says, it's the Lord. You can see the passage here. I won't read through it, but um, where you, they went out to go fishing. We'll skip to the next portion of it. And Simon Peter is dragging the net in. It's so large, 153, the whole bit. You can surmise on that one. And when he hears that it's the Lord and someone says this to him, uh, keep going. Uh, it, 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 uh, you know what? The, the passage is a little discombobulated, but I'll leave you with this. Let's just bring it here. The, the passage points out that when he says it's, it's the Lord... Peter puts his coat on and he jumps in the water and he swims the shore. Now, I was, a, I was an all-American swimmer. And, and if you want to get somewhere fast in the water, you don't put your coat on. And we used to shave the, ar- the hair off our arms for, you know, less drag. And, uh, and, and, you know, his coat's got the big sleeve, so he's catching the water with every stroke. But he gets there because he's so excited. Because he had resurrected, and they said, go tell Peter. And it says, Jesus is cooking breakfast by an anthracia. And who's the one person who's soaking wet that needs to be by a warm fire? Wow. And how many times does he ask him? Three, do you love me? Mm. And every time he's smelling it and going back to that place. Beautiful. And and he, he contrasts, he says, Lord, you know I... I agape you. He says, but do you phileo me? Is this mutual? I mean, you you saw I laid my life down. Are you going to do the same? He said, yes, Lord. He says, feed my sheep. You're you're restored. Now go get the job done. It's it's not, the, the success of a man is not measured by his inability to fail, but to receive restoration and, and keep wow. going. Wow, yes. Oh, God, I love God's that. into redemption. You know, here's, here's a thought that I had um, when Peter put his his outer garment on because it was John the Beloved that identified, said, behold, it's the Lord. I believe Peter said, I, I'm going to prove to him that I've still got it. I walked on water once. I can do it again. That's why he put his coat on because it says that he plunged into the water. And I believe again. So he swam and he comes up onto the shore disappointed. Uh, Jesus must think, yeah, not only did you betray me, but I've withdrawn my powers. I've withdrawn my... And so he comes up very much with his tail between his legs. And when we're in Israel, Rob, and you you probably already know this, but the, the Hebrew gematria of the significance of 153 fish is 153 in Hebrew is I am God. And... Remember, there was debate on some disciples had seen him, others, there were rumors, the women who came to the tomb said he wasn't there, there was an angel, two angels, you know, they thought he was the gardener, going ahead into Galilee, Peter's gone fishing, and then there's 153 fish, I am God, and then the restoration, I mean, 
wow, what what a what a story! But I've never seen that before. That the as he's smelling, as he's remembering the 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 fragrance of the fire. All that now Jesus sense, yeah. is restoring. Yeah, how how magnificent! What how beautiful! I love it. But that's your brilliant brain. I, I wish I just have to simplify everything. No, no, you. I, I used to have a teacher, uh, Dr. Bruce Boloyan, and I. Um, he he was a uh, he had a doctorate in Old Testament theology from Claremont, and trained under German theologians. Um, and he taught at Azusa Pacific. He was teacher of the year, and he did the life and teachings of Jesus, and an amazing expositor of scripture. And if if you put that can in front of you and me and five other pastors, and we were supposed to observe that and write down ten observations of that can, eight of the ten we would all have in common. It's silver, it's got writing, it opens from the top. All 10 of Dr. Beloyan's observations would be different. He would, he would go back to the design of the can, able to, to stack other cans on top of it. He, would, he just had this way of going through observations, and he challenged me to just look at the facets, walk around the other side of it. Wow. Look for something you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. It's still there. But it, yes. it, everything about God's word is, is living and breathing and sharpening two-edged sword. It divides the thoughts and the intents. Mm. Bring, bring in the senses of the human body. Bring in yes. the time of day. Bring in the name. Bring in the yes. fact that he's wet. All of, it, all of it's a part of it. Look for it. And you're like, yes. you mean we can do that? Yeah. <laughs> I love I, I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave you with this last one. Um, Amalekites. So I think it's, um, I, I, I didn't pull up the scriptures, but I, I did have uh, this right here so I could access it. Uh, it's, it's 1 Samuel 15. You don't have to pull it up. I'll just give you, a, and people can look it up. But, but Samuel goes to Saul and he says, the Lord told me you're supposed to kill the Amalekites, every man, woman, child, uh, nursing infant, any beast that they've ridden on, donkey, the whole bit. And, and Saul goes to war, and he kills a bunch of them, but he doesn't kill them all. And he spares Agag, the king of the Amalekites, as a trophy, and he keeps the best of the livestock. Samuel comes, and Saul greets him by saying, Blessed are, are you, the prophet of the Lord. I have done everything you've asked. And, and Samuel says, What is the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle I hear? And he said, Oh, those are the people. They wanted to spare that um, and he says, what about Agag? And he said, well, you know, and, he, and he's, you know, when confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Blame others, make excuses, or repent. He, he doesn't repent. He blames others and he makes excuses. And the point is this. He loses the kingdom. He laments it. David obviously is anointed in the next chapter. But this is the kicker. You go to the first portion of 2 Samuel. Oh, and by the way, when, when Samuel hears that Agag's still alive... Samuel's in his 90s. He's like, bring Agag here. And the scripture says he hacks him to death. A 90-year-old man chopping another human being into pieces is a visual that just is hard to process. But, can, but, can, you, can you do it with, your, with that beautiful Jewish... <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut you to pieces. You crazy, you. <laughs> He's like, whoops. <laughs> Yeah, that's a fun one to act out. But anyways, he hacks him to death, 
And he's basically saying to, to Saul, this, if God tells you to do something, do it. If he said put it to death, put it to death. 2 Samuel chapter 1, a, a great tragedy has, has befallen the people of, of Israel as both Saul and Jonathan have died. David gets word his best friend has died. Saul dies on Mount Gilboa. And this man comes and he brings the crown and he said, I, he's dead. He says, how do you know? He says, I was on the mountain with him. And he, he, he was wounded and he asked me to kill him. And he asked who I was. And I told him, I said, I'm an Amalekite. And David ends up hacking that guy to death. He says, who are you to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed? He hacks this guy to death. And the Lord showed me the sin you're unwilling to put to death when God commands it is a thing that will ultimately kill you if you don't kill it first. Wow. Wow. And that, that was one of those things that Dr. Beloyan, I mean, why, why does the Amalekite, why is he there at the end of his life? What, how does that, all those things just, wow. that's the fun of, of the expository Gosh. process. Yes. And, observations and I, that's what I just you get so excited about scripture yes. when things like that well it's 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 so beautiful Rob and I love the way like I love expository preaching but even more than that I love the expository research because anyone that tries to say oh well the Bible is just written by men there's no way men could be that brilliant to put these threads because what's interesting in the time of Esther Haman was an Agagite and according yep. to the, the Hebrew, uh, well, a lot of the Hebrew folklore, they say that in the interim between where Saul had spared Agag and Samuel hacked him to pieces, that Agag had slept with one of his concubines and got her pregnant. And she was carrying the seed and that ended up becoming, you know, Haman's offspring or Haman's uh, uh, genealogy to produce yeah. Haman, who then now put the entire nation of Israel in peril again. So these threads that are going, that's why no man could have written the, the scriptures. These came divinely. I, I, people think, how can God call someone to kill every man, woman, child, infant? He would judge nations, and he still does today. Yes. But the Amalekites, that when the, when the Israelites were exiting Egypt... And the infirmed and the elderly and the little children would fall in the, to the back. The Amalekites would prey on them. Yes. God, God doesn't tolerate when you go after kids and, and widows and orphans. Mm. Um, you, yeah, you open up a can of Jesus, you don't get the lid on. So. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> it's all yours. Yeah. It's a, I love that. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's let's do this because we, we we honestly I could do this with you all night, but it's Friday and they still have to write their sermon. So, yeah. why don't you um, why don't you close us out with a thought and a prayer? Uh, another passage, maybe the Lord's put on your heart. Pray for us, uh, you know, especially for the pastors as they would awaken as yes. we're coming into another Sunday. May there be a revival. May more of these churches yeah. have the scales removed. Mm. Whatever God puts on your heart, Jurgen, just just yeah. take us out with that. Oh, you're so beautiful. Just as, you know, scriptures you were talking that really, really jumped out is, you know, I got saved on a beach. My dad was an atheist, so I never had, you know, church. So I'm reading in the Bible and, you know, in the Gospels, it talks about where Jesus cursed the fig tree. 
You know, he yeah. curses the fig tree. Let no one ever eat fruit from you again. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says that um, it wasn't the season for figs. So I'm like, man, you know, note to self, do not, you know, make Jesus angry when he's hangry. You know, like he will he will curse you. <laughs> you will shrivel up and die. And for years it, it you know, and then, you know, as, as uh, you begin to adopt a, a Rob McCoy, begin to look at the words and, and do some wordplay. Well, hang on, it's a fig tree, fig leaves, fig leaves, Garden of Eden, they covered themselves in fig leaves. Jesus looks at a, at a tree that's got fig leaves. And, and basically the, the long and short of it is, and I think it's even a, a word for pastors today and leaders today, that it's very, very easy to have the show. So that the fig, the fig tree was showing leaves. The leaves and the fruit are meant to, to be synonymous. But when Jesus turns up and he sees, wow, you're drawing nutrients from the ground. You're, you're receiving sustenance. You're receiving minerals to produce leaves, but you're not contributing. You're happy to receive, but you're not giving. You're not, you're not providing fruit. You know what? This is not how this thing works. I've got this beautiful synergy, this beautiful cycle of giving and receiving. The ocean gives up billions of, of gallons every day of water that forms our clouds, that goes over the mountains, precipitates, falls onto the, the rivers and the brooks and the streams, goes back into the ocean. It's this beautiful cycle. It's this symbiosis of life. And the fig tree was in violation of those laws. She was receiving but wasn't contributing. She had leave. She had all show. It's amazing. I think that even right now, Pastor Rob, God is, is showing us the fig tree churches. They got all the leaves. They got the banners. They got all the, but they're, but they're not providing hope when we need hope. They're not providing truth when we need truth. They're not providing courage when we need courage. So pastors, you know, just yeah. as, as you're putting, putting thought together, you are the Joshua to your generation, you are a courage bringer and a courage giver and a courage imparter. Every word that you bring on Sunday is hope, is life, and lean into the word of God. And I love I love what Rob was saying. Don't just look at it from one way. When you were saying that, you know, I, I really try not to play golf, but I was playing golf with a guy and it's so frustrating because I see the ball on the green, I see the hole, and I'm thinking, if I can get there in two, I'm going to walk off happy. He looks at the... From this, and then he walks around that side. And he's looking at it from that side, and then he goes over here. Like, what are you doing? But he makes more putts than me because he looks at it from different angles. And I think that you know that's a that that reminded me. I need to do the same thing when I'm preparing. Don't just look at it from one way. And I love the way you look at the Greek. I love the way you look at names. I love the way you look at um, typologies and uh, different analogies. And it's just brilliant. So. Father, I thank you right now for any pastor or leader that's watching. And I'm even praying right now, Lord God, for those who, who may not be pastors or preachers, but all of us are called to share the word of God, that we yes. would do a deep dive again, that we would realize that the Bible wasn't written by men. It was written by God. And what a gift it is. And that the word brings life. It brings light. It brings hope. It brings reconciliation. It brings salvation. It brings deliverance. It brings healing. It brings restoration to every area of our life. So, Father, I thank you and bless Rob and his beautiful wife, Michelle, and his beautiful kids. Bless God speak church. Father, give him travel mercies as he travels and speak to him even as he sleeps. Speak to him. Put sermons and put messages in him. I thank you that you've raised him up 
for such a time as this to be a voice to our generation. Father, what a gift he is. Surround him with your angelic host. Protect every step that he takes, Father God. Let it be anointed and continue to open bigger doors for his, his voice and his beautiful heart to speak into this nation that is desperate, desperate for a pastoral voice. So I thank you for him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jürgen Matesius, I love you more than tongue can tell. I love you. You're so awesome. Thank you for having me on your magnificent show. I'm going to, I'm going to, you, you bless me with that prayer. I'm going to bless you with number six. It's our tradition. And this is for you. Jürgen, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And Jürgen, may God be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you and your entire family peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I receive it. Thank you, Rob. I love you. Love you too. Bless you, Jurgen. Thank you. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for having me. All right. Jurgen Matesius, an amazing gift from God. And I tell you what, if you're in San Diego, you need to go to Awaken Church. It's the bravest church. It's, it's, it's wide awake. They are caring for people at great expense to themselves as the tyrannical government there is dumping on them. And yet uh, they are keeping people from going over the edge as we're watching a skyrocketing uh, suicides and depression and opioid overdoses. And yet the governor would, you know, declare that Governor Abbott is somehow doing something wrong because he's opened Texas and giving people hope. And Governor Newsom uh, would, would say it's dangerous and wrong and yet, is he doing that from yet another restaurant where he's eating without a mask on? Yeah, we're, we're not buying it, Governor. Open the churches. People need hope. And, and, uh, and they, the church is essential, whether you recognize it or not. And pastors like Jurgen and others around this state, and to, to the government officials in Santa Clara County that are dumping on Pastor Mike McClure and Calvary Chapel, San Jose, Quit being a bully. Leave them alone. You, you don't govern by our consent with the right to be tyrannical and to do this in violation of the First Amendment. Are you serious? Two million dollars in fines? Seriously? You, you have 14,000 unanswered suicide calls to your county and you're going to fine a church two million dollars? Why don't you do your job and leave them alone? And so, hey, listen, pastors, stand with Mike encourage him. And uh, I'm just, I got to tell you, for all the pastors who are remaining open and standing in defiance to this tyranny, you're obedient to God. Stay the course. God bless you all. Thanks for joining us. Uh, make sure you shoot Pastor Jurgen a note and tell him how much you appreciate him. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Good night. Hey guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.